Brothers and sisters, this afternoon I proclaim to you the Word of God as it is summarized in Lorsay 6 of the Edelberg Catechism, which is about the mediator being true and righteous man and at the same time true God, and also about God's revelation of this mediator. And let us read in connection with that from God's Word, first from Exodus 20, verse 18 to 24, and then from Deuteronomy 18, and also a few parts from Hebrews 1 and 2. So first we begin with Exodus 20, verse 18 to 24, in the first 17 verses of chapter 20, we see how God gave his law to Israel, the Ten Commandments. And then we read in verse 18, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. So far from Exodus 20, let us now go to Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 to 22. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When the prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And now we turn to Hebrews. We read Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 4. And also chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Okay. 
Hebrews 1, there we read, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So far, the scripture reading. Let us now read, Lord, say, 6 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord, say, 6 continues about the mediator and deliverer we must seek and asks about him, why must he be a true and righteous man? He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. Why must he at the same time be true God? He must be true God so that by the power of his divine nature he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. But who is that mediator who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. From where do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise. Later he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and prophets, and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his only son. Brothers and sisters, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, imagine that one day in paradise. It was a beautiful day, and the morning started so glorious. God had created everything, and all that he had created was very good. And God created mankind, Adam and Eve. God instituted the first marriage in paradise. God brought Eve to Adam, and it was all beautiful. And the angels in heaven looked down and saw how God had made everything and they praised God constantly. But then something 
happened. Something happened on earth, but first something happened in heaven. There was one mighty angel who was not content with what he saw happening on earth. He was jealous. He realized as angel, servant of God, while mankind were God's children. And whatever he thought, he was proud. He didn't accept this situation and rebelled against God. And many of the angels followed him. And by his rebellion, he became Satan, the enemy. He became the devil. And many of his angels became demons. And this Satan thought, I am rebelling against God, and it would be beautiful if I can get this creation, this earth, this mankind that is ruling over this creation, if I can get them at my side against God, if I can get them in my power. And that is what happened. He went down, and the serpent spoke to Eve, and even the angels in heaven were watching, and the whole creation, what is going to happen? And he knew God had said, on the day that you eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. The continuation of this creation, or the eternal damnation of this creation, it was hanging in the balance there, on that day. And the whole creation, and all the angels were watching. And then they saw Eve taken of the fruit and ate. And she gave to Adam the head her head, the head of mankind, the ruler of his creation, and also Adam ate. And with that, the angels in heaven knew that this creation is going to be in the power of Satan with this. This creation has to be destroyed. And then they were waiting for God. And God came in the cool of the day, at the end of the day, and Adam and Eve knew something was wrong. They hid from each other and especially from God. And God spoke to them. And they acknowledged their sin, even though they tried to shift the blame, but they acknowledged their sin. And then what was God going to do? What was God going to do at that moment? Was he going to do what he said, that he was going to plunge his creation into eternal death? Was he going to maintain his righteousness? And the angels knew that is what should happen. It seemed impossible that anything else would happen than that God would destroy this entire creation. They rebelled against him. They had chosen the side of Satan. And now God had to destroy it. And it was at that moment that God came with that promise, Genesis 3, verse 15, which all of a sudden changed everything. God said, I do not accept this situation. I do not accept that Satan has this earth and mankind in his power. And therefore I will put enmity. Enmity between Satan and his demons and the earth, the woman and her offspring. That is mankind. Mankind as image of God. God was going to put enmity that mankind would no longer be on the side of Satan against God. But yeah, still with this enmity, not everything was solved because still God's justice had to be satisfied. But then God said, from the seed of the woman, someone will come 
to bruise the head of Satan, to, to destroy Satan. And we know that text. We all have memorized it in primary school, and, and we all can say it. But do we realize how much is being said there? In that one text, the whole outlook for this creation changed. God revealed there that he would give a way out while at the same time maintaining his justice. God is not a man that he will change his mind. God is not a man that he says, well, let's forget everything. No, God maintains his justice. Death is the punishment and his punishment has to be paid for. At the same time, there is hope. And that's the wonderful gospel of salvation that God reveals to us. A wonderful way of working about which Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 that no eye had seen nor ear had heard, no human mind had ever conceived. This did never come up in human minds. Whatever religion you look at, none of them comes up with this gospel that my, mankind itself will bring satisfaction for its sins while at the same time knowing that mankind is not able to do so. But God gives a way for mankind so that mankind can do so. And that is then what the last question and answer of Lord 5 already said. Someone who would come to save them must be God and man. And Lord 6 continues with it. Why must he be true and righteous man? Well, because mankind paid for sin. Mankind, uh, sins, mankind must pay for sin. And why must he be true God? Because mankind cannot pay for sin. And there is, how God, there is where God reveals how it is going to happen. Only very little of it. Only one verse. But throughout the Old Testament, God is making it more and more clear. He reveals more and more. Until Jesus Christ comes and makes it completely known to mankind, the gospel of salvation. And there we see Jesus Christ as a complete revelation of God's salvation. The complete revelation of what was promised in Genesis 3, verse 15. And that is what I proclaim to you this afternoon under this theme. Jesus Christ as the complete revelation of God's salvation. And we see this salvation is first revealed in paradise, second proclaimed in the Old Testament, and third fulfilled in God's only Son. Jesus Christ as the complete revelation of God's salvation. This salvation is first revealed in paradise. Man was created in God's image. Genesis 1 made it very clear. And that indicated the purpose which God had with this creation. God was giving this creation to mankind to enjoy so that mankind could use this creation, fill this earth, subdue this creation, and with that praise and glorify God. God wanted to live in a relationship with man so that man as his image could listen to God, could communicate to God, could speak to God as image. Image means not that he is exactly God. No, he is like God. That means he has the means of communication. He can talk to God. He can listen to God. He can live with God. Important in being image of God is living in a relationship with God. Lord say 3 already mentioned that God created man good and in his image, that is in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him, 
and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. Well, that's the task of the image of God. God placed mankind in a covenant relationship, you can also say. God wanted to live with mankind, live in a relationship of love, a relationship of trust, like a relationship between father and child. A child can fully trust his father, or a relationship between husband and wife. If that relationship is good, then they fully trust each other, love each other, and are willing to give their lives to or for each other. It is clear from the Bible that this is not a master-slave relationship. God did not create mankind to serve him, to fulfill all kinds of tasks for God, which God didn't have the time for. No, that was not necessary because God could in one word say, and it was created. So it was not a master-slave relationship. It was not an owner and an animal, slave, uh, animal relationship, an animal that worked for its owner. No, there was nothing about working to make that relationship possible. No, working was only an addition to that relationship of love so that working would be enjoyable for mankind and by working, mankind would discover God's greatness. That is why God gave them work to do, not to make them slaves. And this kind of relationship, the relationship of love between God and man mankind, that determines what is important. That determines the way of communication. Also between the master and the slave, there is communication. But in the relationship between father and child, or between husband and wife, that is a different form of communication. And in that communication between father and child, or husband and wife, love is of utmost importance. And therefore, love is so important that God made it central in the covenant, the covenant of love. Love, trust, dependence. And that is central in God's relationship with us. Trust and dependence, brothers and sisters. God is honored. Not if you work hard for him and show him a lot to boast in. No, God is honored most if we trust in him, if we depend on him, if we have faith in him. Read Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, a whole list of, of witnesses of faith. God is honored, God is praised if people have faith in him. And that is also the obligation of the covenant, as you read in the form for the baptism. The covenant has two parts, a promise and an obligation. The obligation is that we trust this one God. Cleave to him, love him with all our heart and soul and mind. That we love him and do not love the world. That is the obligation. That is the part, our part of the covenant, that we love God, that we respond to God's love with love. And that was before the fall, a relationship of love that remained after the fall. God did not change his mind. God did not say, well, after fall, I, I have to change my plans. I have to change the character of the covenant. No, God remained the same. His covenant remained the same. God said, I want to live in a relationship of love with my image, with mankind. And for that, also after fallen sin, God went to work to make that possible, that that relationship of love, that he created in paradise, was restored after it was broken by sin. It's the highest form of relationship. It's the most beautiful form of relationship, love. Can you think of any relationship that is better than a relationship of love? God is love, the Bible teaches us. So everything God created is created in love. 
God loves his creatures. God loves his image, the highest of his creatures. And therefore God's image, who is God's image, who shall reflect God, shall also reflect God's love. And God's image will love God as well. Anything less is not acceptable for God. And that is why he worked the way he did, as we read in Genesis and saw in the previous Lord's Days. And for that reason, the Catechism explains, anything or anyone else than man himself could not pay for sin. Man, as the ruler of all creation, imagine if mankind would say, here there are a few animals, God, take, take those animals and you should be satisfied. No, God says, you sinned and you will pay. Not those animals, but you will pay. And that is what is important. God is not satisfied with anything less than mankind itself. No other creature was placed in a relationship with God as mankind was placed within the covenant. No other creature was able to do it. No other creature was acceptable for God. And God made it clear to mankind, you shall surely die. Mankind had the highest position and took the highest risk when they rebelled against God and they have to suffer the highest punishment. The highest love is being punished with the highest punishment, which is eternal death. Eternal death means that we are given into the power of hate. Eternal death means that we have lost the ability to love. If you live with God in love, then we can live in God's presence. But if you don't have the love, then we are forsaken by God and lie in eternal death and misery. And that is what we gave up when we broke the covenant. We gave up this love relationship with God. And the result was hate. And that's what God made clear in paradise. The character of his relationship with us. Mankind lived with God in a relationship of love. Mankind broke his covenant. Mankind must restore this covenant. And no other creature. Question answer 16. No other creature can do that. And mankind must pay by showing unfailing love, even in hell. But we know that mankind is not able to do so. Now already, even while we're not in hell, so often mankind is filled with hatred. Let alone when mankind would be in hell. Then the hatred would be at its climax. And mankind would not be able to love, forsaken by God. And therefore... This love, which is from God, this love mankind must receive back. Someone from mankind must be perfect in love while descending into hell. And that only God can do that. Only God can love eternally. Only God is stronger than the power of hell. Only God can keep loving without depending on others. And that's question answer 17. So right after the fallen sin, mankind knew the demand. Mankind knew we have to pay, but we can't pay. 
And then God, at that moment, in Genesis 3, verse 15, explains the way he will go to bring salvation, to fulfill the demand. First, God says, enmity is necessary. Nothing can happen if mankind still is on the side of Satan. First, mankind has to be taken away from Satan. God put enmity. God did not accept that Satan had power over mankind. Separation of mankind from the evil forces of Satan. And then thereafter, the restoration between God and man had to be restored. This relationship of love had to be restored. In Genesis 3, verse 15, I will put enmity. God is speaking to Satan. But it is a promise to mankind. An indirect promise. God speaks to Satan. God curses Satan. But the curse over Satan is at the same time the promise to mankind. God, pro, God's promise, God speaks here to mankind and is the beginning of the revelation of his plan of salvation. Genesis 3 verse 15 is the mother of all promises. Here it begins. God's beautiful promise, God's plan of salvation. God has a plan. God has made, had made his plan from eternity. Or it before the fall and sin. It is all part of God's plan. And now when God reveals it in Genesis 3 verse 15, it becomes clear. God is starting away here. It's going to be a long way. The seed of the woman, it will take a while, but the seed of the woman in the end will conquer. And it's God's plan. This plan surpasses our understanding. We don't understand how this is possible. We would never come up with something like this. No human mind would ever conceive this. This is God's Wonderful way of working. And that's also what Paul speaks about in Ephesians 1. Let's read Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 10, where he speaks about God's plan. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And there he continues to speak about this predestination. And beloved, in, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The riches of God's grace, this mystery, as Paul speaks about. No human mind was ever so smart that it could understand this. The best philosophy, the, the wisest philosophers on this earth were not able to grasp this. But God reveals this to his people, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Israel, and now to us in his son, Jesus Christ. God's revelation in paradise, the first promise of the coming of his son. The word who became flesh, as we read in John 1. God spoke already at the creation. God lived in a relationship in paradise. God communicated with man. 
Genesis 3 verse 15, God spoke again and God revealed his word. And every time God speaks, he reveals a part of his plan. Genesis 3 verse 15 is the beginning of the revelation of his plan of salvation. But it can only be understood against the background of creation and paradise. Uh, the background of God's love. That he maintains his demand and at the same time gets the fulfillment. That he maintains that mankind has to pay but at the same time, he gives the possibility that, that mankind can pay. It is first revealed in paradise. That was the first point. Now, the second is it is proclaimed in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we, we read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God appeared to them in dreams. In visions, he spoke to them. And there were no uncertain signs like the heathen people have. They have to, to, to look at the flight of the birds or the liver of an animal, or all kinds of weird things they have to use to, to try to find the will of, God, of their gods, and, and even their priests, they have to, to, to interpret the secret language. That is not how God communicates with us. From the beginning, God communicates in clear words. Before the fallen sin in paradise, after the fallen sin again, God spoke to Adam and Eve. God called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob and spoke to them in visions, in dreams. They could hear his voice. They could understand his voice. In Genesis 12, God's command was clear. Abraham, you have to leave your father's household and go to a country that I will show you. And in your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And what did Abraham do? Abraham listened to God. Abraham understood God's word and Abraham believed God, it says. And it was accredited to him as, as righteousness. Abraham did what God told him to do. It was clear for him. He honored God by believing him. And that's important in the covenant. There's a relationship with God. It is living with God. It's not something we do only on Sundays and during the week. We do our own things. It's not that we have to come at set times to, to bring sacrifices and to worship God and for the rest... We do, do what, we, what we want. No, living with God every day again. On Sundays we come together as God's people and during the week we live our own life as part of God's people in the world. Even though we are not together, we still belong to God. We live with God within the covenant. That's important. Isaac and Jacob heard God as well. God spoke to them. Not often, but they knew God. They lived in dependence on God all the days of their lives. And then we see the people of Israel led out of Egypt, brought at Mount Horeb, at Mount Sinai. And there in Exodus 20, there was a very central moment in Israel's history, in the history of the covenant, because there God comes to his people. He speaks directly to his people from the mountain. Not in dreams, not in visions, but directly from the mountain. He speaks to his people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And God spoke the Ten Commandments. God came to his people. And the people were terrified for God speaking to them. And now also God comes to his people. And again, we read about that, how God comes to his people in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 18 to 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, 
and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, and so on. And then verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We also have come to God, before God, not at Mount Sinai, but here we are gathered together, assembled together before the living God. We live with him within the covenant. The God who appeared to Israel in Exodus 20. And we read how he did and how Israel was terrified. This is the same God. He's also our God. And he comes to us. And he speaks to us. Then the people could not bear it. And in Deuteronomy 18, which speaks about the same event, Moses said that from that time on, God sent his prophets to his people. God would not speak to his people directly anymore, but God would speak to them through the prophets. And Moses was the first prophet. And God would send other prophets after him until the final prophet, Jesus Christ, who would fully reveal, as, as a chief prophet and teacher, would fully reveal God's revelation regarding our salvation. The prophets spoke the word of God to the people. Thus says the Lord, they told the people. And the people had to listen. And who did not listen to the prophet, God would demand from him an accounting, as we read in Deuteronomy 18. And therefore, God wanted his people to show respect for those who speak the word of God. They had to listen to the prophets. And when they mocked their prophets, then God punished them. One example we see with Elisha, 2 Kings 2, verse 23 and 24, that we read about him. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord, and two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. But then the Lord Jesus warns Israel later in Matthew 20, 23, verse 37, that Israel killed the prophets. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. And the Lord Jesus Christ makes clear that the rejection of the prophets is a rejection of the word of God. And nowadays too. The rejection of the preaching of the church is the rejection of the gospel of salvation and with that the rejection of God. God gives his church a task to preach the gospel. And the gospel is being preached every Sunday in the pulpit. And the gospel is being preached on the mission field. And the church has a task in the society to speak the word of God. And whoever rejects the word of God does not make, just make a choice to believe or not to believe. It's not up to the people. But God says everyone who rejects the word of God, God will demand an accounting from them. They will be punished. And then we read in Hebrews 12, verse 12 to 14, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not, not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And in 12 verse 25, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And there's a warning that comes in the first place to God's people. God's people has to be a holy people. And therefore we should be holy when God speaks to us. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you are not holy, if you are not set apart, if you are not totally focused on listening to the Lord and serving Him, you will not see, you, you will not be able to see the Lord. They will never come before Him, but you will flee from His presence, afraid for His holiness. And therefore do not refuse Him who is speaking now. God had this gospel proclaimed in the Old Testament. Many of the Israelites rejected it. And they are given to us as an example. 1 Corinthians 10, Hebrews 4. They, all, they, they both texts give Israel as, an, as a warning example. Let us not be like Israel, rejecting the word of God. Because our punishment will be even more than that of Israel's. And in the third place, we see that God fulfilled it in his only son. In Hebrews 1, there we read long ago and many times, it's an eternal covenant, a covenant, a covenant for a thousand generations. God took time to teach his people. The people had to learn. And that showed the depth of the misery, the, the depth of how corrupted their knowledge was. God needed that long way to go with Israel to teach his people the need for salvation. The need of salvation was more than just the exodus out of Egypt. We need to learn from Israel's history. And Israel's sinfulness is revealed to us in the Bible to show us how we are by nature. But in these last days, the days after the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are at a stage that God's promises are being fulfilled. The beginning of that we see in the time of Jesus Christ on earth. But God still speaks to us. Promises are still being fulfilled. We still await the full fulfillment of all promises. And Christ's authority is now being proclaimed everywhere, all over the earth. And the radiance of God's glory, Jesus Christ, the exact imprint of his nature, as we read in Hebrews. In Jesus Christ, God comes to us. In Jesus Christ, God comes to this world. This is the radiance of his glory, the work of salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ, a wonderful work. Emmanuel, God with us, and God will be all in all. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28. God will be all in all. In his creation, God will be glorified. And all those who are being saved, God's glory will shine. We all will reflect God. In Hebrews 2, we read about the message declared by angels in the Old Testament to the prophets. Disobedience in the Old Testament was punished. We have received more, not only the gospel proclaimed to us by angels, but even by the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. How then shall we escape if we ignore him? This gospel is declared to us by the Lord who was on earth, we read in 
here was 2 verse 3. It is attested to us by the... Um, uh, uh, it is preached to us by his apostles. All their work, all that they preached, is in fact what they have heard from Jesus Christ and what we have in the New Testament. After Jesus Christ, there was no new revelation. All that he had revealed to the apostles, that is what we have in the New Testament. And it's finished with the revelation to John. And then verse 4 of Hebrews 2 speaks about signs and wonders, gifts of the Spirit to support the preaching. And that happened in the first time when the New Testament was not complete yet. But now we have the word of Jesus through the apostles. It was spoken to God's people. It must be preached now by the church. This is the word of God. God who speaks to us and demands a response from his church. It's not human work. It is preached by the church, but it is the word of God. It must, it must continue. It must be believed. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, we read about God's wisdom, which was not believed by the rulers of this age. It goes against the way of thinking of this world. This world is centered uh, around themselves. It is all about individualism, all focused on self, self-development, your own rights, everything about yourself. God's word is the opposite. God's word is about God, is about Christ. We are all focused on God, all focused on Christ. God's word is given to his people. We are all part of the body of Christ. On our own, we cannot survive. But being part of the body of Christ, being focused on Christ, being governed by the Spirit of Christ, that is how we are being saved. Each individual as part of his people, as part of his body. God has a covenant with mankind. If we want to be saved, we have to belong to this body, to this mankind, to the church. God has a relationship with his people and we all together, united in the body of Christ, have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Not on our own, not as individualists, but as part of the body. And this is how we receive the word of God, the gospel of salvation, united by the, with Jesus Christ in his death, so that we will also be united with him in his resurrection. And that is how God speaks to us. God still speaks to us, because God wants to live within the covenant with us, that relationship of love, in which communication is such an important part. God speaks to us, his people. Brothers and sisters, do you listen? Do you hear the word of God that is being revealed to us? Because question answer 19 say that you know all this, you know that whole gospel of salvation from the word of God, from the holy gospel. There is no other way. Therefore believe it and be saved. Amen.